Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. So I have very few regrets in life, although I have to say I have a few recently. For example, did not bet justify outright to win the Belmont, tried to put it in a bunch mm-hmm. of trifectas, did not expect a horse named after Rob Gronkowski to finish second. It screwed up everything. Uh, I regret uh, 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 not uh, winning uh, more money in Vegas when we were in Vegas covering the Stanley Cup final and uh, playing games maybe for a little bit too long that I wasn't winning at and then you know losing all my money. And here's my biggest regret. A listener named Kim Peacock sent this along. As of uh, Monday morning, as we do this podcast, on the BradfordExchange.com, there was, for $130, a porcelain beer stein in honor of the 2018 Stanley Cup champion, Vegas Golden Knights. Now, there is very, you know, you, you always see the stories about where do the ch- the championship t-shirts for the losing team go? And then there's the, you know, cut to shot of some place in Africa where they've been airdropped on a village and they're all wearing that gear. You know, the Sharks championship shirts from a few years ago and that sort of thing. Rare is the porcelain beer stein collectible that you could have on your mantle to commemorate a championship that never was. A championship that, by the way, was three wins away from happening. And I blew it. Like, there was a chance for me to order it this morning. I went back to check it before we did the podcast. The link is now dead. Apparently, someone said, hey, by the way, Vegas didn't win. Uh, so this is now perhaps my biggest regret in life, to not own a Vegas Golden Knights Stanley Cup champion beer stein that I could have purchased from the Bradford Exchange. You know what? It's just going to be so much more fun when it's the year 2049 and you're at a garage sale and find it somewhere in Utah. No, you will be 20- gar- garage sale hunting in Utah in 2049. 2049 is not going to be a fun year for me because that means it'll be the year after the Rangers have won their next cup. Mm, uh, as you know, every 54 years. Yes. Yes. <laughs> every devil fan knows it's 2048. Uh, all right. So there you go. Capitals overnights for the cup. We have much to speak of, including the booze-soaked travels of Alex Ovechkin through Washington, D.C. to commemorate this championship here on ESPN and Ice. Also... Chris Peters talks about the NHL draft. John Walton comes on to talk about the Caps, the Caps parade, and the future of Alex Ovechkin in this league now that he is a Stanley Cup champion, plus all the usual fun and merriment that you enjoy on this podcast on a weekly basis uh, coming up on ESPN and Ice. So let's start the show. From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey. Featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey everybody, it's ESPN on ice, the podcast where ESPN covers hockey. Not to be confused with In the Crease, the TV show where ESPN covers hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, a national NHL reporter. And uh, we are doing this show uh, a few days after the Capitals eliminated the Golden Knights of Vegas. Why weren't they the Golden Knights of Vegas like the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, the more I think about it? I guess that would make it even... opportunity. It would make it even... Like, the whole point of them being the Vegas Golden Knights versus the Las Vegas Golden Knights was that Bill Foley thought Las Vegas Golden Knights was too wordy. So I'm guessing it's the same thing where Golden Knights of Vegas, of Las Vegas... Would be extra. It would be like word salad. Also, VGK is pretty cool. And then you mm. would be the GKO GKOTLV, <laughs> which sounds like a '90s boy band acronym. <laughs> which could have been perfect for their pregame show. I don't know. <laughs> um, so the Caps uh, beat the Golden Knights, win their first cup in franchise history. Alex Ovechkin hoisting the thing. Never seen 
a a greater embodiment of joy than that man uh, over over the last several days since then. Let's start off with the with the Caps winning in five. What was your takeaway from this victory? What was your takeaway being on the because this is the first time you were on the ice for a, a Cup championship thing, right? That's not true. As oh, you were there young, for Chicago too, right? No, no, no. As a young buck intern, I was there when the Bruins won. Oh, that's uh, right. Tim that's Thomas and Patrice Bergeron and all the other guys that are still there except for Tim Thomas. This was you um, running around for the first time as a journalist, though. It is. I was a big Jay journal. Um, and it was just interesting of how close I could get to Alex Ovechkin. My friends all thought I was a creepy TMZ stalker when I showed them my photos of like, <laughs> here's Alex Ovechkin looking pensive in the crowd searching for his wife. Uh, here's a photo that I could probably sell to like Entertainment Weekly of him kissing Natasha. Uh, and all that jazz. So just the accessibility and, and being there. I mean, just seeing them want to hug so many different people, like seeing Ovechkin want to hug Nick Backstrom's family and things like yeah. that. It really illustrated the bond of team, if you will. Yeah. Seeing Ovechkin hand the cup to Backstrom was a hell of a thing. Like, I, mm-hmm. it's not always been the easiest relationship between them. I know a lot of, of like Caps fanfic people don't want to believe that, but like, Where there's can I been find this Caps fanfic, by the way. I've, I've got a lot of time these days. Tumblr, where else? Uh, they've had their problems in the past. They had they had some heat earlier this year, and Ovechkin even kind of referenced that obliquely in his in his uh, uh, post uh, cup comments. As far as like, it's not always the easiest relationship. Um, so to see those two guys that have stuck through it, and neither of them bailed on this team, and they've been there through all the disappointments, the highs, the lows, the rock, the red, the whole thing, was a really really powerful moment to see two uh, two teammates. Uh, combine their powers to to bring this thing home. And Backstrom was great in these playoffs. I mean, you know, the the points he put up despite missing time was incredible. And Ovechkin obviously was incredible, winning the Con Smythe with his effort. By the way, Con Smythe voter, how close did it come to Kuznetsov winning? Do you know? So the votes are going to come out. Um, oh. They're going to be transparent. So I don't feel like I'm breaking any news here. We're going to find out who voted for who. But I believe Ovechkin got 13 first place votes, and Kuznetsov got five. And everybody else pretty much voted Holtby as third. Interesting. So no, no, uh, no uh, Mark Andre Fleury, uh, uh, punk contrarians. After in the you uh, have a less than nine hundred save percentage of the final <laughs> series, uh, it usually goes down that way. I think they got it right. Like, I, it's hard for me. Look, I mean, because Netsoff had a remarkable postseason point production wise, but for me, like. You go into that locker room and you ask all the dudes, like, who drives the bus? They say to a man, it's Ovechkin. Ovechkin's mm-hmm. the guy that they take inspiration from, not only from the timeliness of his scoring in these playoffs, but also the unbridled enthusiasm that he brings to the game and, and just the sheer will with which, with which he played in these playoffs was just, it was incredible to watch. And, and, you know, despite the fact, as we'll talk about later in the Phil Kessel Loves Hot Dog segment, there are a few still, uh, straggling detractors in the media. It, it's, I've never seen anybody in hockey Maybe ever spike the football like he did. Like, 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 there's been guys that have. And you're not just talking about the fountain swim. No, I'm not talking about the fountain swim. By now, by now, for all we know, he's hollowed out a football and, and, uh, and chugged a a bottle of, of, uh, of, of, you know, Stolichnaya from, uh, from it, for all we know. But, you know, there have been guys that have, have waited years to win the cup and there have been franchises that have waited years to win the cup. But, I don't think I've ever seen a situation where a single individual player had been saddled with that disappointment more than Ovechkin, had been blamed for that disappointment more than Ovechkin, had been literally told by pundits ranging from the hockey news to Mike Milbury to our own Barry Melrose that maybe you should be traded 
whether it's in the NHL or going back to Russia, because you can't put it together and win a championship for this franchise. I don't think I've ever seen a player with that amount of weight on him and then toss off that weight in one postseason, not simply just by winning a championship, but by being the reason, the primary driver of that championship with due respect to Kuznetsov and to Braden Holtby. You know, one of my lasting memories of that night uh, when they clinched was seeing Yamir Yager in the hallway. Yeah. And fangirl and me kind of freaked out because I was like, oh, my God, there he is. His man bun is looking spot on. Like, <laughs> wow, I'm going to go talk to him. Uh, he apparently trains in Las Vegas, so I was kind of there as a fan. But I went up and I asked him, I said, what does this mean for Ovechkin? And literally the first sentence he tells me is, it's pressure off. Nobody's going to talk about it. Then he says it's huge. It's not easy to win the cup, but he truly deserves it. I didn't see many games, but what I saw, he played the best I saw him play over the last 10 years for sure. And that's just so telling that a guy like Yager was so aware, so acutely aware of all this pressure that Ovechkin had. And he said, you know what? It's gone now. Yeah, and he probably also had the Golden Knights plus the two and a half, so he's probably feeling good no matter what happens. (laughs) (laughs) That Yager. That Yager. But so we we see Ovechkin win. We see the Caps celebrating. One of our favorite moments uh, after the game is we we managed to see them all getting on their bus uh, mm-hmm. after the game, leaving the arena after their drunken merriment in the locker room. Now, do you have a favorite post-series victory pre-parade Alex Ovechkin moment so far through all of the videos and all of the things that we've seen? Yes, it's Natasha Ovechkin's Instagram feed. I, <laughs> I want to get her all the followers. She's doing <laughs> God's work right now. Yeah. Um, I believe it has been reported now that um, maybe their family's going to grow. She's um, yeah, Scott Scott Oak of Sports that blew up that spot on the ice to where he's like, I understand, Alex, that you're going to be uh, adding an addition to your family, and we're just like, wah wah wah, you know. I mean, we, she was showing, but no one was really writing about the fact that he was going to be a father. Right. I don't think it's anybody's place to report unless the family itself is going to report it, especially right. in light of things that happened this year with you know people yeah. losing their children. It's, right. You know. Precisely. Yeah. Anyways. Them in bed with the cup was amazing. Not a them in bed with a cup. She's getting ready to go in bed, and she finds Alex already there with the cup, just caressing it. Uh, <laughs> watching him by himself in his own backyard, just doodling onto We Are the Champions as this huge flame engulfs on their grill, and he's just totally oblivious to it. Uh, it's been pretty illuminating. Um, that and Jacob Rana has been the breakout Jacob. social media star. Jacob Barana getting tattoos. Uh, uh, Can I tell you my favorite part of the tattoo? Yeah, what's that? And um, Dmitry Filipovic brought this up on Instagram when he has the, or on Twitter rather, when he has the photo of him revealing the tattoo, yeah. he's peeling up his t-shirt to reveal a wrist tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Obviously, uh, there's been a ton of Ovechkin greatness in the last uh, few days, but by far from me, listen... I understand that it is a an era of social media. It's an era of smartphones. It's an era in which we have access to these things in greater ways than we have in previous years. That said, I do want to believe that this was the first Stanley Cup keg stand that we've ever seen. I want to believe that <laughs> that he is the pioneer of it, that others will follow in his footsteps. That was incredible. Not only is he doing a, a, a keg stand on the, on the cup, he's wearing his, na- his personalized Washington Nationals jersey. He's at the Washington Harbor in Georgetown during the, the right near around where the, uh, the uh, Fountain Snow Angels happened as well. And he, he, there's, there's this moment when he gets done with the keg stand where he stands up and he's got a look on his face of such, I imagine the only 
way that I would ever see anyone self-satisfied like that if, if somebody cured cancer and then took a step back and was like, I just cured cancer. Like, that's how self-satisfied Alex Ovechkin looked after doing a keg stand on the cup. And then after that, the, the whole crowd of fans around him, and as John Walton talks about later in, in, in a few minutes, like he talks about the fact that the, the, the city has rallied around Alex Ovechkin and, and how this is a very public uh, cup celebration for the Capitals. The fans around Ovechkin start chanting, O-V, O-V. This guy puts his hand to his, his ear like he's Hulk Hogan in 1986, and he's like leading the cheers of his own name. It's the most beautiful thing I think I've ever seen. It, again, makes me wish that I wasn't a chubby kid in the New, York, New Jersey suburbs and that I played hockey growing up more to have that moment that Alex Ovechkin had. It's the greatest. It is the greatest. And, yeah, as you alluded to, I just love how communal they're making this. It's, yeah. It's a win for DC. Men of the people right now. Men of the people. Here's a man of the people coming up in our extra attacker segment. It's John Walton, voice of the Capitals. A Stanley Cup championship for the franchise, something a lot of people never thought they'd see, let alone see Alex Ovechkin be the driving force behind it. Something we all figured we would see after the Caps won. Alex Ovechkin stumbling through D.C. in a drunken stupor for 72 hours, making snow angels and fountains and doing uh, keg stands on the cup itself. This is exactly the way we always pictured the celebration would be, John Walton. It is, and not just Alex, but I saw Braden Holtby go fast walking into a fountain. I saw T.J. Oshie <laughs> hanging out the side of a bus. I saw multiple guys getting tattoos. I love every bit of this, every bit of it. I think that this town, and by the way, every video you see, everything that you've seen online with where they've been, whether it's Clarendon or Georgetown or wherever, they're with the fans. And how great is that? Because how many fans have gotten to take part? This is the People's Cup here in Washington, and they deserve it. Players deserve it. Man, it's been fun to watch. You are around this team intimately all year, but including that night where they did clinch. Like, Take us inside. I don't know if you were in the locker room, but you were definitely on the ice, part of that celebration and, and going home. What's one lasting image that's kind of behind the scenes that you can share with our listeners? You know, I think it's one that people have seen, and it was unbelievably moving. I was standing probably about 20 feet away when T.J. Oshie was interviewed, uh, and I honestly don't remember because it was such a haze of who was actually doing the interview, but asking him about the moment, and T.J. talking about his dad. Uh, his dad's been on a lot of the dad's trips that we've had over the last few years, and Alzheimer's that is getting worse, and it was such an emotional moment anyway. Uh, when I saw TJ, I started to lose it. I immediately called my dad uh, at home in Columbus and wanted to talk to him. It was just, it was such an amazing, heartbreaking in some ways, but uh, just an incredible moment in the midst of joy and chaos and bedlam and families and everything else. It it stopped me in my tracks. And, uh, you know, I know for Tim, it's been a, a real struggle the last couple of years. And and watching TJ's reaction when he hugged his dad, that was, for me, uh, I think the biggest moment uh, that I saw on the ice. For me personally, getting to throw that thing in the air was a big thing too. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to I'm going to have to go with TJ on that. You know, I found I found TJ to be a really interesting story beyond obviously the familial uh, 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 stuff because I agree with you, man. It was super emotional to see him unable to you know complete sentences after winning the cup because he's searching for his dad and, and that emotional was really something to witness. But uh, you know, in reading Izzy's uh, and Barry's story in the Washington Post about the 
journey of this team throughout the year, the ups and downs, the roller coaster. I, I do track back to the contract they gave Oshi, which for a team that maybe had been looking at a window closing may not necessarily have been a contract they would have given out to somebody who was there for years of, of it not working. And yet they bought him back. And one of the reasons they bought him back was for his attitude, for his positivity. And I, and I thought that was a really interesting brick in the foundation of what ended up being a championship team. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And I think that is one of the biggest reasons you bring TJ back. It's a long-term contract, absolutely. I think the hope is by the time that you're in the back half of it that the salary cap's gone up enough that it may not have the impact that it does today. But uh, at five and a quarter, it certainly does get your attention at the moment it's signed. I think when now, I mean, I, if this has happened the way that it has with the Caps have won and outside of, you know, talking a little bit with Tom Wilson about, you know, what happens moving forward as an RFA. I mean, you've got the top nine under contract, essentially, and now you won and that core is coming back. It's weird, isn't it, that you talked about the two-year window and, and Brian McClellan was pretty clear about it. And after that, it was going to be going on to what's next. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that you were going to be a lottery team, but it meant that this was going to be different. And in a lot of ways, even though they lost a lot of key pieces off that team from, well, really the last two years, to be able to do what they've done with this core, this is just a terrific team in every sense where uh, Devonte smith Pelly, this was the last chance saloon for him i don't think there's any doubt and now what has he played himself into michael kempney was ready to go back to the czech republic uh and was done in <laughs> chicago and yeah. and now where would they have been without him in the top four and the unbelievable chemistry with john carlson uh, you know I, over the course of the last couple of years the caps have brought in d-man that well it didn't work out very well <laughs> whether it was mike weber <laughs> or whether it was kevin Shattenkirk for various reasons, different players, obviously, but what a pickup to bring in a guy like Michael Kempney who uh, showed that he can log the big minutes and he can play with some edge and be a little nasty when he needs to be. And I Just the whole construction, yeah. I mean, just not just the Oshi contract, but just the way it all came together financially and in terms of what these guys had in the locker room, it's just extraordinary. So I've got to ask you about Barry Trotz because that's the one thing looming over this thing. What's your gut? What does he do next year? Well, Brian McClellan says he's coming back if he wants to. Uh, and, you know, I mean, you get through an entire season where this happens. I, I saw it written by a number of people in a number of places. Uh, what what better way to go, become a UFA than go out and win the Stanley Cup <laughs> if you're a head coach? Yeah. I, I, I hope he's back. I, I, I really do. I would understand on some level if he wasn't. But uh, I don't think you can overestimate the importance of his attitude toward this playoff run. I've never seen him more carefree, uh, smiling on the bench. I, you know, even I, I don't remember the game, but he took a puck in the back. He turned around and just was joking with the guys in front of him. I mean, this is a guy who, I mean, every game uh, it seemed as just as relaxed and I, as you could ever hope for. And then that translates to his players. And, and I think that is one of the key reasons why this team was able to do what it did. I mean, there was a lot of mental damage here. We all know that. I mean, oh, yeah. October and November were terrible for this team. Uh, to be able to rebound the way they did, I think Barry Trotz in the middle of November, he lit them up in Denver after they lost 6-2 to two, uh, at the end of a two-game road trip. And it could have gone one of two ways. Either Barry Trotz was going out the door, or they were going to start buying in and stop feeling sorry for themselves. And I guess it's pretty obvious which direction it went now.
Do you know anything about that meeting? Like that, 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 cause there's been sort of talk about what he said and, and singling out guys and stuff like that. Do you have any insight on that? I don't know what was said. I wasn't in there, but I was in there right after when we went down <laughs> to get post game sound. And I can tell you the look on guys' faces. Matt Niskanen is the absolute best when it comes to talking to the media hands down after a loss. You could always go to Matty and he's going to give you, you know, some honest assessment of what has just happened. Mm-hmm. The look that was on his face, I think scared off every reporter from it. Don't even go over there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened in here, but I mean, it looked like there should have been blood on the walls. Tom Wilson talked. I remember that. And I remember him being angry, uh, upset. Uh, they knew it was unacceptable. I didn't know at that point that Barry was the impetus to why everyone was looking at each other in the eyes. But uh, I do remember the mood in that room was as ugly as I have seen in probably three or four years. Mm-hmm. And to see that and then the turnaround. Uh, truth be known, I texted with Bruce Boudreaux, who I'm still very good friends with from our Hershey days, and we were playing Minnesota next. <laughs> and I texted him and said, yeah, it's not really going great here. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how things are going to go when you get to our building on Saturday. And Bruce called his shot, and he said, look, I don't see it the way you see it. I see they're going to come out pissed off and angry and ready to go, and I think they're going to try and shove it you know where. And they did. And from that point, they won 11-14, and, and yeah. they got back on it. I think Barry trots whatever was said, and I certainly don't know, but – I can only tell you what the mood was afterward, and it was not a pretty one walking in that room after the game at Pepsi Center that night. Bruce legitimately could have gotten Trotz fired if his team wins that game. I mean, I, 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 for, 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 for real, it was so bad at that point that if I think if they if the Wild had won that game, it would have been very teetering on the brink for Barry, which is crazy. Uh, on Ovechkin. What do you, what happens now? Like, okay, so once we get past hoisting the cup and he's singing, we are the champions everywhere he goes, he's marching the cup through Georgetown, like you said, it's a, he's like, he's like a one man flash mob wherever he goes. It's the best thing ever. But now I look at him and say, okay, he slayed the dragon. So does he now approach the remainder of his contract and hopefully the next contract after that with a, without the weight of this on him? Is there, still motivation like what 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 will now drive Ovechkin now that this is done is it having gotten a taste of it wanting to do it again I I've always sort of I guess framed him within the context of his past playoff failures not his personally but the teams that I have a hard time conceiving what OV 2.0 is going to look like I I think that's a a pretty fair comment Uh, I think that you know when you look at where he is now and what he has accomplished now and the stage in the career that he has done it now, he's going to be 33 by the time that next training camp opens. I suspect what would happen, and for Backstrom too, for that matter, and for Matt Niskanen and Brooks Orpik, who will be going into the final year of his deal, you want to try and do what, you know, I mean, Steve Eisenman, it took forever. It took more than a 1,000 games for him to do it with one team, and Detroit went on a pretty nice little run at the end. I mean, People I think forget that, would that about Yzerman. He won in his like fourteenth yeah. season. Yeah, I mean that's that's the that's the comparison, right? I mean, they they're the only two guys in the game who did it with one team, got more to a thousand games, and Eiserman got all of those questions, and you know then went on to do what he did, uh, and now Alex is going to be in that same position. I think the feeling that this team had, and just the overwhelming joy that from everyone i mean you've seen it all i mean twitter has chronicled this more than other cups in a cup uh, celebration <laughs> in history i'm pretty sure that's going to continue after the parade too 
And I think that you get that taste of it and say, we got to do this again. I mean, Jacob Brown was still sitting there, you know, on the stage of his career. He's just a baby compared to the rest of these guys. Uh, he's already said, well, we got to do it again. He might have had one other colorful explanation metaphor in too, but started with that. But, you know, it, it's that's what I think you get the taste of it. And, you know, that's what winning teams do. That's what Chicago did. I mean, that's, you know, you get it done once and you end a long drought. Hey, why can't we do this again? Uh, I think with the time that these guys have left on their contracts, not just Alex, I think that would be the mentality once they get to October. We asked the same question to Izzy when she was on, but we know Alex Ovechkin's day in Russia is going to be pretty epic. What's one player that you would want to spend the day with a cup? Do you think it's going to be a really unique or special day? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> good. I, I think all of them are unique. You know what? I'm going to go way off the radar for this one only because it's never happened before. I, I don't know how they're going to cram in all the days for these guys anyway because this will be the longest the cup has ever traveled Thanks primarily to one guy, and that's Nathan Walker. I, I right. assume that having played in the postseason, that sucker's going to Australia. And, and if that's the case, uh, Australia's reaction and where he goes uh, and, and how that goes, I think that's the one. If I got to pick one trip, I mean, obviously I would pick Obi, but if I got to pick two trips, uh, I think Nathan Walker would be the most intriguing to me just because I would want to see a country that far away uh, that never had, would have ever seen anything like this, how they would react to it. They're going to yeah. slather some Vegemite in it. <laughs> yeah, uh, That's well, what they're yeah. going to do, John. <laughs> <laughs> Put on their Nikes and Adidas and run around with it. <laughs> hey, uh, John, last one for me, uh, and thanks for your time today. Uh, when we talked earlier about the Capitals uh, beating the Penguins and sort of the palpable anxiety that still existed in the in the fan base, Talk to me a bit about that. Talk to me a bit about what this means now for Caps Nation. Are, are they cured? Is, is this it? Do we never have to speak again about the uh, clenched sphincter of uh, of Capital Capital One Arena when things go south in the playoffs? Yeah, I, I think it's over. In fact, I, I think, I hope anyway, uh, as someone who lives in Washington and, and now my adopted hometown, I, I hope that Max Scherzer does the same thing. Uh, and I think it has a carryover for the baseball team. Uh, the Nats get in, and I think the fans have that same feeling. I was at the game in 2012 when the Cardinals did him in and Pete Cosma in Game 5. And I walked out uh, and going toward the Metro, and the guy in front of me doesn't see me there. Uh, I said, man, it's just like the Capitals, man. It's like, this <laughs> stinks. This is terrible. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of crossover to what's, goes on with the Nats, goes on with the Caps, goes on with the Wizards, goes on with the Skins. Uh, the Nats have a team built to win. I, I think the entire fan base, not just for the Caps for the next decade, but for the next uh, you know few months as far as the Nats and going down the stretch and, and hopefully getting into the postseason and making some noise, I think Nats Park is going to be different now because of what has happened. I think wow. this, this, the, the switch got flipped in Game 5 against Pittsburgh, and they were unbelievable, never wavering ever since. Even when it looked dark against Tampa, down three games to two, I think everybody was believing, and uh, I don't think that's going to change. John, before you sign off quickly, when Alex Ovechkin raised the cup, Steve Levy, our colleague, asked him, what did it feel like? And he said it was heavy. You lifted the cup on the ice. What did it feel like? (laughs) 
Like a styrofoam peanut, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I looked down. I mean, it just it, there was that moment where I was like, oh, th- wait a minute. This is going to be me. And I'm looking down at the bowl, and I'm looking at it sitting there, and it was sitting on the ice, and I picked it up. And, uh, you know, a couple different people, uh, Brian McNally was one of them. I taken my picture for it. I, I ended up getting that later, and I threw it in the air. And I, I don't even remember uh, going over my head. I remember seeing people around and, and screaming, and I could see so many Caps fans there. It was great. But I, I, I really think it was that heavy. I, can't, I think Alex is probably kidding because he picked up that Prince of Wales trophy in one hand, and I can tell you that sucker was heavy. I can't believe he would have thought so, but in the moment, uh, just unreal. I'm so glad I got to do that. It's the best. John, thank you so much for your time, man. We appreciate it, and uh, have fun at the parade tomorrow as if that is, if it was a possibility you couldn't. Uh, take care, man. <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. Our thanks to John Walton, voice of the Washington Capitals. And, Emily, we brought up with John, what is next for Alex Ovechkin? What could possibly drive this man to do any more than he's already done? And so we should probably talk about the Capitals in the abstract in that situation. What, what happens now for Washington? I've, I've said to people that have indicated that, you know, the Barry Trotz thing to me is a bellwether, right? Like, like, I don't think that there's any reason for Barry to come back. He's climbed the mountain. He's scaled the mountain. He's won the cup. Go on and do other things. Like if you come back, you're just doing it because, yeah, I don't know, the comfort and the money, I guess. Or you uh, love but, that team. But that's the thing. Other people have said, that he comes back with an eye on winning multiple championships with the Capitals. I happen to think the conditions this postseason are a singular event. Do you believe that if Barry Trotz does come back, that this is a, a Capitals team that could potentially win cups plural instead of cup singular? Yes, if they get their other free agent back, and that's John Carlson. And it's going to take some finagling, but they actually can do it, especially with guys like um Jay Beagle's contract's coming off the books. Orpik is a possibility to buy out, but the longer he stays around, the more I think, no, there's actually value to keeping him. Um, I don't actually expect them to buy him out. Um, bookmark this for when they buy him out, everybody. <laughs> but anyway, there's a few other things that they can move around there, and they might have to part with a player they don't want to. Maybe it's Burkowski. I don't think it would be Ron. It's definitely not Eller with that team-friendly deal, but there needs to be some finagling. But if John Carlson is back... Um, you know, they can sign Michael Kempney to a pretty team-friendly deal after, you know, he was pretty much written off in the NHL to begin with. Uh, mm-hmm. He kind of owes them because he, they found a place for him. There's no reason that this team should regress because now they know what winning feels like and they've gotten over that hump. And that psychological hump is really the biggest thing that was preventing this team from being a winner. Yeah, they've got some, like you said, they've got some decisions to make in the in the, in the the offseason. Tom Wilson needs a new contract. You wonder what that's going to end up looking like. Um, you know, they've got some other contracts that are up, nothing major. Holtby is actually a UFA after, uh, in, in summer 2020. Can I interject so for a sec? Yeah. It's all but a given that Grubauer is gone, right? I think he has to be if somebody comes a knocking for him. I, I feel like that's an asset that you can trade and, and not only kind of improve your team in places and, or, or maybe even just trade him for futures. Like there was some talk about the Islanders, maybe, you know, Lula Murillo kind of, Doing what he normally does, which is to go out and get somebody's backup goalie. He got Corey Schneider from the Canucks when he was in mm-hmm. Jersey. He got Freddie Anderson from the Ducks when he was in Toronto. One assumes that Philip Grubauer would be kind of the next in that line, although I think in contrast to the other two, he's got the lesser of the work histories and maybe more question marks. But hey, you know, people said that about Martin Jones once too, and I think Jones has turned out pretty good for San Jose. So uh, to me, like, you could probably get something pretty, pretty solid from Grubauer. 
the interesting thing I think going forward, like you said, when a guy when talking about Verana and players like that, is the the infusion of youth on this team was one of the driving forces behind the championship because Netsov's only twenty six. You've got a bunch of the younger guys down the lineup. Verana's twenty two, uh, and so on and so forth. I, I I think that there there might be a window here. The East is never going to be as tough as the West. The there East, might be a window here. The East. The invaders yeah. of the East. Invaders of the, oh god, your, your, your obsession with the Golden Knights, uh, opening is something I'll always remember from these playoffs and, and the woman going, the invaders of the West and blah, 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 the old Golden and Knights. And looking like I just went on a middle school field trip to meet the little times. <laughs> Dinner and tournament. Um, I, I happen to think this might be a one and done for the Caps, but who's to say? Like you said, Trotz will come back. He calls them their, his kids and maybe the, uh, the weight of, of previous disappointments no longer being on their backs uh, frees them to be dynastic. Uh, who's to say? Let's talk about Vegas. We've really shortchanged them on this podcast and probably in life because it is one of the greatest stories in the history of sports, this expansion team making it as far as they did. What's the next phase for your Vegas Golden Knights after falling to the Capitals in five games? Recalibration. It's, look, nothing went according to plan this year, but they're totally fine with that. Like, James Neal should not be a Golden Knight right now. Uh, he should have been dealt at the trade deadline. Uh, we shouldn't even be talking about a guy like William Carlson and then his next big contract because he went from six goals to 43 goals. But um, they have some cap space, and I expect them to be big game hunters because they realize, holy cow, we actually have a team that can compete. So mm-hmm. I fully expect them to be in on a guy like Eric Carlson, especially after that final when they realized, you know, a puck-moving defenseman who could have waded his way through all of that neutral zone mess that uh, – the Capitals threw at us would yeah. really help us out. Mm-hmm. I would not be shocked if I hear them trying to put in a sneaky bid for John Tavares because why not? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where I see this team is, you know, look, they're going to start shooting big. They have Marcia so signed through 2024 now. So they got that mm-hmm. going for them. Uh, at a very team friendly rate. They're going to have to figure out William Carlson's deal and what's fair for a guy that may be a one season wonder uh, or may not be. I don't be. think he is though. I hope I'm a he's believer. not. I don't, I, I'm a believer too, but I, I'm a little bit, you know, I give pause to the fact that he didn't have the best, the best, uh, uh, uh late, later stages of the postseason, but he is, a, I mean, he's a great two-way player, and I, I think that you'll do well signing him and, and, and hoping that he can at least repeat some of the goal-scoring prowess that he had. Nate Schmidt probably gets a long-term deal this summer. Uh, Flurry only has one year left on his deal. That's so the extension that's definitely going to happen. That's a dead extension that's definitely happened, fr- face the franchise. I agree with you on Eric Carlson. Um, and I, and I also think that it's really interesting. You know, when you can't discount the fact that, that Vegas in a lot of ways was a, um, was a bit of an, an unknown coming into these playoffs, right? Uh, or coming into the season rather. In the sense that you had a lot of people on the outside looking in being like, what's life in Vegas like for me? Mm-hmm. From, from a player's perspective. And and you can you you can have acolytes like Derek Engeland and, and and all those others selling it, you know, telling everybody how great it is. Hey, but don't worry, you, there's Whole Foods here. Yeah, right. Until you actually see guys enjoying it and thriving, and see the amount of people that get it practices, and and see what the organization was. Don't discount the fact that this has been four rounds now of the greatest infomercial you could possibly buy for the Vegas Golden Knights as a franchise. The same thing happened with Nashville last year. You know, there was always talk about Nashville as a hockey market and Nashville as this and Nashville as that. But until you get a four-round infomercial showing you what the fan base is, what the community is, what it has to offer, what what the franchise does, what the organization looks like, maybe guys on the outside don't quite get it. 
But I think now Vegas is a desirable place to play. It's a cheap place to live. Um, the organization is, is, you know, gets high marks as being first class from everybody involved in it. And clearly it's an owner that is going to now be committed to repeating these results going forward. So it's going to be real interesting to see how much interest they get from free agents. And, and it's going to be really interesting to see how many guys currently on the roster that may not have, you know, been down with re-signing with Vegas a year ago are going to do whatever they possibly can to stay there now. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And you can't discount the fact that Gerard Gallant is a player's coach and finally mm-hmm. found his groove again after, you know, not having the perfect fit in Florida. And you're right, all these guys are going to go to their off-season training in Saskatchewan and Toronto, and they're going to tell their buddies, like, what was it like this year? It was awesome. Management treated us great. We had the best time. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a great point that it's definitely raised his profile with potential free agents. And you know what? The reason I bring up Tavares is golf. Yeah. There's great man, golf courses. Apparently, that's man, high on his list. The man loves his golf. I still wonder about if the Western Conference is really where he would want to be, but the man does I love his golf. I don't think it's happening. Indeed. All right. Coming up after the break, Chris Peters is going to tell you every single thing you need to know about the NHL draft. Well, maybe not everything, but most things. <laughs> You're listening to ESPN on Ice, and we'll be back after this. All right, we're back. ESPN on Ice, Greg Wyshynski, Emily Kaplan. Joining us now will be Chris Peters, who, as you know, is the ESPN.com draft guru. Uh, he has many thoughts about what is going to happen at the top of the draft, throughout the draft, in the future. And he's a guy that you're definitely going to want to follow as far as uh, his work on ESPN.com as we ratchet up our coverage of the impending NHL entry draft and all the fun that comes with it. You know him, you love him from ESPN.com, just like you know me and Emily and love us from ESPN.com. The difference is, is that Chris is really, really smart and really, really good at knowing about the future of the National Hockey League whilst Emily and I control the present. Chris? Welcome to the show. Well, thanks, thanks for having me, Greg and Emily. It's uh, good to be with you, and I, I appreciate that intro. I, I did bring a crystal ball with me, so we should be good to go. I don't know if this is in your crystal ball or not, but I feel like every draft has a defining character. What will we know the 2018 draft known to be for? <laughs> wow, that's a good question. Well, I, I think I think it's specifically going to be just known as the Darlene draft. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, he's such an overbearing prospect among among them all. Um, certainly a, a draft, he's kind of emblematic also of the fact that this is a draft of, of the, the offensive defensemen. You're going to see a lot of puck movers going in the first round. Uh, a lot of guys that, uh, that, that kind of play the style of today's NHL. You know, you talk about Quinn Hughes, an excellent skater and puck mover. Um, guy like Ty Smith out from the WHL, you know, probably a mid-range, uh, first rounder that, that put up a ton of points and, and Evan Bouchard, who had, you know, one of the highest scoring seasons. Uh, by a uh, by a defenseman in the OHL in in the last twenty years, so I mean he's he's a he's an exceptional talent as well. So I think that's that's going to be one of the defining traits of this draft is the the, the year of the puck mover. Yeah, and, and I guess the next question is about Darlene. Um So, from what you've been able to glean, what kind of impact could he have in year one for a team like the Buffalo Sabers? Who obviously are lauding this kid as a potential franchise savior. Uh, you know, can we expect him to be that impactful in year one, or do you think it's gonna, there's going to be a bit of a learning curve for him? Well, I think there's going to be a bit of a learning curve, but it's more just because he he doesn't have a lot of support there. You know, it's if there's not a lot of uh, of, of players that uh, that can kind of you know kind of help him out and not not have him play uh you know too many minutes i think we've seen it with rasmus Ristolainen. he plays a ton of minutes 
I think he'd be much better in smaller doses. Um, but you really can't do that because he's the you know the most talented defenseman you have in a shallow blue line. So I think that it's going to really depend on how much support Jason Botterill can get for for Darlene. But no question, he he thinks the game at such a high level. Um, you know, he's he's got the frame already. He's tacking on more muscle. I think it's going to be a really important summer for him to build strength. Um, and, and, you know, he just thinks the game at such a such a level that's, that's above so many of the kids that I've seen kind of come through over these last few years as defensemen. I think he's going to be able to handle a lot of the pressure. He's, he's got a real even keel as well. I think that he's going to kind of take things in stride. The losing is not going to be easy for him. But I think that, you know, he'll he'll just kind of learn and, and, and grow. But he to me, you know, he has the smarts to make an impact. I think he'll be a very important player for them. It's just a matter of, will he have the support to kind of maximize his talents? And I don't know that he'll have that in year one in Buffalo. Chris Peters uh, throwing the Buffalo Sabres defense under the bus. Jake McCabe somewhere <laughs> weeping because he's got no support, he says. Now, but I agree with you. I, th- I thought one of the weirdest things about Buffalo last year, honestly, was you go out and you get Phil Housley. And your thought is that he's going to sprinkle magic Nashville Predators dust on the defensemen that are already on that roster to make them better. And that's never how it works. Like uh, the, the, the lack of investment to improve that blue line outside of Scandella, I thought last year was a little bit surprising. But like you said, maybe they've learned their lesson and, and, and they bring a better group around, uh, Deline, uh, this year. Who's to say? Yeah. You know, I, and I think that Phil Housley is a perfect guy to kind of bring, bring Deline into this league and, and kind of, let him flourish and, and give him some of the best advice that he's going to be able to receive. So, so that helps. And I think that this is where you kind of maximize the value of, of Phil Housley with these young guys. And, you know, he, he's, he's trying to change the culture. And I think Deline is going to be really a focal point of that culture change as well. So, Chris, the times that I've sat down and chatted with you like we did at the Frozen Four, I know how much you know and your intelligence and depth with these prospects. But I just want to give you a chance to flex that knowledge on our listeners. So, can you talk up, give me two of your gems this year that like nobody knows right now, but you are sure are going to be the dark horse rookies or really great guys in 2020 or 2021? Ooh, wow. Um, <laughs> that's a good one. I, there's, there's a lot. I mean, you know, this, this, this draft, there's a lot of guys that kind of stand out and, and have the skill level to potentially make an impact in, in the next, uh, you know, next year or two. I think in terms of, Kind of the depth guys, the, the the sleepers, the undersung guys. You know, one of the guys that that I think is starting to get more attention now, but he'll probably be higher on my list than he is on most. Is Keandre Miller, who's who's slated to go to the University of Wisconsin next year. He plays at the national team development program this year. Um, you know, he's a six foot three defenseman, super athletic. Uh, uh, just you know, he's only been a defenseman for the last three years. Does to see his progression over three years since? Tr- you know, converting in high school in Minnesota high school and then going to the national team program and playing at such a high level. I think the sky, you know, the sky's the limit for this kid. Um, he's, he's just, you know, he's got those offensive talents that he, that he kind of carried over from when he was a center as a younger player. Um, he's just starting to learn how to use those as a, as an offensive defenseman. And I think that he's going to get more, more and more comfortable with that as he's in college and, and just a, a super strong player as well. Um, he said at the combine that you know he's trying to model his game more after Seth Jones, um, and I can see kind of some of that already. He doesn't quite have the poise of Jones, but he has a lot of the physical tools that Seth Jones did coming into the year. So he's a guy, at least in terms of first round prospects, that I think has a real opportunity to to, to make a pretty 
significant impact. And then uh, the other guy that I that I really like in the first round is Uniton Bergren, who is a really super skilled player. Uh, he's he's really uh, you know he's an exciting player to watch. He was one of Sweden's leading players at the World Under 18 Championship. Uh, just you know he's electric with the puck on his stick. I think you know he kind of came into the year. A little bit undersung. He's kind of looking more like a second round prospect. I've got him as a you know a top twenty, top twenty pick in my my draft personally. Uh, if I if I was making the decision, I wouldn't wait to pull the trigger on him because he's a guy that that with his skill level and his hockey sense, I think he's got an opportunity as he gets stronger to make an impact at the next level. And I'm, I'm sure we'll see him making some noise in, in the Swedish league next year. Uh, still a few years away for him, but but really exciting prospect for me. All right, there's the deep future. Let me ask about a, a little bit more current. So we are obviously, as you know, fans of Tom Dundon here on this podcast <laughs> and the crazy chaos that, the that is the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. What do you think they do it to? I, you know, I, I, I'm very curious. I, I think there's more potential for insanity at number three with the, the Canadians. I think that they're, I think the, the Hurricanes are going to get exactly what they need out of Andrei Svechnikov. I think they would at least consider Brady Kachuk at number two, but I mm-hmm. think they're going to stick with the consensus and go with Svechnikov because he brings the things that they want. They want to get bigger. They want to be tougher to play against. Andrei Svechnikov, when he has the puck on his stick, he's very difficult to play against. He's got a power game, a tremendous shot, gets into space very well, has enough skill to you know beat guys one-on-one. Uh, but it's that power element that I think that they're looking for. And certainly Brady Kachuk brings that as well, but he doesn't have the high-end offensive talent, even though he, he is a very good offensive player. He doesn't have that same talent as Svechnikov. So could they go off the board? Could they trade the pick? They, they could do a lot of different things. But I think that for what they're looking for, based on everything we've heard, I think that Svechnikov is the guy that best fits what they're trying to do and that with, with, with their draft this year. All right, so following that thread... You said chaos at three. Like, to me, Brady Kachuk's a pretty obvious choice there for Montreal. But, I mean, is the more obvious choice to try to find someone in the top eight that lusts after Brady Kachuk and make a deal? I think that's certainly a possibility because based on – it was interesting. Philip Zadina at the Combine said that he thinks that that Montreal – is going to go with a center or defenseman. So he doesn't think that he's going to go there, even though he's, you know, the consensus number three prospect. Um, you know, it's, it's really between him and Brady Kachuk for number three. Um, and I think that there's, there's certainly huge interest in that, you know, and if they, they could potentially use the pick and go a little bit off the board and get the finished center, yes, Barry Kokeniemi, who is an exceptionally skilled player and a very smart player and, and plays a, a pretty physical game, kind of fits into what they're looking for. Um, but, I don't think you're maximizing your value. So certainly if you say, you know, somebody that really would like to get a, a high scoring winger like a Zadina or, or get that grit level with, with Kachuk who also brings the skill, then yeah, I think you want to try to look to, to move back because there's still going to be a defenseman or a center there. If it's not, if it's not Kokeniemi, it's Joe Valeno or Barrett Hayton at the center position. And defensively, you got opportunities to get Noah Dobson or, or maybe Evan Bouchard, Adam Boquist, Quinn Hughes, whoever falls there. So those are the options that they have if they move back. Because I think at three, to me, the only guy to pick in that in that spot is Philip Zadina because he is an hmm. elite offensive talent that has a potential to you know could score forty goals at the next level. Great shot, good size. He's also got a star quality about him that I think is really attractive in a prospect because you know you look at a guy that that has that level of confidence at his age. 
and he's he's the kind of guy that I certainly would want on my team. So that's that's the that's where I would go if I were them, regardless of team need. You always want to go for that best player available because you're going to be wondering, did we unnecessarily pick for need? And so if they can move back, good for them. I think they'll still get a player that they really like. But I think it's going to be hard to move back. It's, there's going to be a premium on these on these picks to, to for teams to move up or down and. It's going to be uh, kind of a crazy draft, but I do think number three has the, the highest potential for um, chaos in, in the draft, and I think that'll be super entertaining to see what Mark Bergevin does with it. Chris, you're at the Combine this year. What's one trend you are seeing? I mean, and, and what I'm getting at here is, were you seeing, is it more guys that are smaller and quicker? Is it more guys that are polished and, and agents are getting to them younger? I know we've heard all this Fortnite is a new Netflix talk, so maybe you want to get into that. But <laughs> what do you notice about these guys? You know what the biggest trend I noticed was? Personality. <laughs> because they're, these, these kids definitely have, uh, you know, a sense of themselves. And, and also <laughs> a sense of, you know, they're respectful, but at the same time, they're not afraid to kind of let their personality show. You know, great example is Zadina. He's kind of got that star quality, as I mentioned, where, you know, he's answering with a smirk. His English is very good. You know, he's very comfortable in his own skin, and you can tell that right away. Same goes for Brady Kachuk. He's got that attitude. He's got kind of that knowing look in his eye that he's he's just kind of got you in the palm of his hand, <laughs> you know, because he's just talking to you and he's, He's being himself, and he, and he is very confident in his abilities. And, and I've got something coming out next week that, that will kind of showcase both Brady's personality and Matthew's personality as well, because we got to talk to Matthew Kachuk about, about Brady as well, and it's, it's very interesting to see the way that those two can kind of play off of each other um, and certainly a great relationship there. But, but that's, it was across the board. There are a lot of players that just were very comfortable. You know, there are some that are that are certainly the, the old cliches and stick to that because that's all they've ever known. But I think we're getting to a point where these, this generation of hockey players, the younger generation, is starting to feel more comfortable with showing who they really are and, and having a little bit more fun with it. I think the game is fun for them, and, and yes. And also, yeah, video games was absolutely a topic at the Combine. Everybody was talking about it. Apparently there was a lot of Fortnite going on at the hotel. So, uh, yeah, so we'll keep an eye on that as well. Yeah, they're probably a lot looser because I straight up murder them all in 20 on 20 on 20 on 20 Fortnite competitions and Battle Royal. Like these, these, these prospects are probably these noobs that walk around and I just snipe them from far away, get my twenties. Listen, um, I had one, two more questions for you about these, this draft. And, and, and the first is about a kid that first came on my radar via YouTube when he was a little pup. And that's Oliver Wall, uh, Wallstrom. He's been projected mostly to be, I think, a Blackhawks choice at eight. Tell me about this kid and tell me where you think he ends up. Yeah, Oliver Wallstrom is an incredible goal-scoring talent. And, yeah, that video that you referenced, I think, got him a lot of attention at a young age. Certainly went viral. He was in that, that Boston Bruins mini-sticks game and did mm-hmm. the, the lacrosse move perfectly. And, you know, the amazing thing about him now is is – I watched him quite a bit last year, and seeing the way that he's progressed this year, he's got more power. He's he's a big kid. He's about six foot two, close to two hundred pounds, solid muscle, skates with some power. Uh, but the thing that stands out for everybody is the way that he shoots the puck, and he can score from anywhere. I think he had eighty more shots than his next closest teammate. It's like Alex Ovechkin level kind of shot production as a as a seventeen uh, year old. Uh, he's supposed to go to Boston College next year, but I think that if certain teams that if they pick him high enough, 
could be very interested in maybe sending him to the American Hockey League because I don't think he's that far away. You know, it's fine to go to college as well. And, mm-hmm. uh, but but if he goes uh, to, to to BC, he'll do great there. But he's he's such a tremendous talent. I think you know I think there is a chance that he falls to the Blackhawks at eight. But I think that his his draft stock has trended up since uh, the World Under 18 Championship when he was just scoring goals from from wherever he wanted. Um, you know, he scored 48 goals this year at the National Team Development Program, which is a really tough place to score. Um, so to me, he's a bona fide top eight for sure. Uh, you know, he'll be in, uh, I believe I have him six on my list that'll be coming out this week. So uh, keep an eye on him because he is absolutely a game-breaking player. And then last one for me, Chris, uh, you have two names in front of you. You can only keep one name in existence. The other person has to change their name to Joe Smith permanently. <laughs> So, which name do you keep, Jet Wu or Nando Eggenberger, as far as awesome 2018 NHL draft names? Oh my gosh, that's not even a choice in my opinion, but Chris. Well, I mean, Jet Wu is the most style and profile and prospect in this in this draft based on mm. name alone. So, there's no way I'm letting him change his name. What? <laughs> That's an That's upset. not where I would go. Yeah, Emily and I were both definitely thinking Nando Eggenberger for that, but you know, That's Jet Wu for Nando. Jet Wu <laughs> is definitely a name that I could dig because, as like a former editor, kind of headline writer type, I mean, Jet Wu is just built for first and last name built for awesome headlines. While Eggenberger is like broken egg, cracked an egg, blah blah blah. So uh, Jet Wu, I think, has virtue, but for the sheer poetry of the name, Chris Nando Eggenberger. Well, that's fair enough. I'm going to stick with mine. That's fair. (laughs) Conviction is a big thing on this pod, and you were an awesome first-time guest. I'm sure we'll have you again. And I'm just excited to hang out with you in Dallas. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. Indeed. Chris Peters, thank you so much for joining us, bud. Thank you. Our thanks to Chris Peters for breaking down all the NHL draft stuff. And now it's time for our favorite segment each week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Good one, Randy. Good one. Good one, Randy. By the way, for those wondering, Phil Kessel uh, and Mike Sullivan uh, are are fighting, but Jim Rutherford, the GM, told our friend Jason Mackey, hey, it's no big deal. They'll work it out, and by the time we get to training camp, things will be fine. So the indication, Emily, is that our dear beloved Phil may not necessarily be as solid on the trade block as many believe. Wow, shocking. (laughs) All right. Speaking of the hockey media, uh, it is time for Phil Kessel Loves Hot Dogs, of course, is our weekly segment in which we look at the foibles of the hockey media. Two strong contenders for the Phil Kessel Loves Hot Dogs Award this week, both involving hot takes on Alex Ovechkin. Hot take number one is from Larry Brooks, who, as you know, Emily, recently added to the Hockey Hall of Fame, or at least he will be. He is the winner of the Elmer Ferguson Award, the award given to the uh, journalist amongst the uh, the hockey media that we want to put up on a pedestal and say, yes, this is the best among us. Larry Brooks decided after uh, Alex Ovechkin won the Stanley Cup and uh, therefore is a winner of the Stanley Cup and therefore can no longer be saddled with the failures of the past because he has, I don't know if you've noticed, won the Stanley Cup. Larry Brooks wrote a column, and the headline on the column is Stanley Cup win doesn't erase Alex Ovechkin's ledger of losing. I just don't understand. Well... Here's here's what you need to understand. It's just not everyone can have the same take, okay, Greg? It can't be a great story for everyone. There has to be some kind of counterpoint here. I think I think for me, like, you know, the the counterpoint would be what? That he has to go one for one ratio every time he lost in the playoffs, he now needs 
a win in the playoffs to repeat it. <laughs> it just makes you mental. No, I'm done. Uh, um, the other one that deserves mention here in Phil Kessel Loves Hot Dogs would be Damian Cox. Now, Damian Cox is a Canadian uh, a writer and, and broadcaster who you may be familiar with with his work in the Toronto Star and then also on uh, Sportsnet. He once wrote a book called uh, The Ovechkin Project, I think it was. This is an Alex Ovechkin book that he wrote many, many moons ago. Um, and now that Ovechkin has, has won... Uh, he decides to throw some shade via tennis, which is also one of Damien's uh, true loves. Rafael Nadal won his 11th French Open today. No video yet of him drunkenly rolling around in a public fountain because apparently some believe that's how champions should behave. So let's just dial it back and take a big picture look at this. So on the one hand, we can criticize Ovechkin for never having won. And then when and he never does caring win, about one. And never caring about winning. And then when he does win, we can criticize Ovechkin for caring too much about having won. You know, I, it's a it's a miracle Alex Ovechkin hasn't just you know dug himself a hole and, and climbed in it to <laughs> to never to never have to ever face life again because you can't win in the eyes of some people apparently. Or if you do win, just don't be so happy about it, right? I just don't know what more we want from him. Indeed. All right, now it's time for Puck Headlines. Looking around the NHL and the news of the National Hockey League. Uh, Dateline, California. Ilya Kovalchuk is visiting both the San Jose Sharks and Los Angeles Kings. The speculation, Emily, has been that Kovalchuk may end up on the East Coast, but he is looking West. He talked to the Kings uh, before he signed that giant illegal contract with the New Jersey Devils a few years back. Uh, where I, I find Ilya Kovalchuk on the Sharks to be a really super intriguing thing. I just don't know if they would want to dabble in a long-term contract with him if he's looking for more than one year. No, I want them to dabble. And not only do they want them to dabble, but I want them to draw inspiration from the Los Angeles Clippers, hold him hostage until he signs. Like they did to DeAndre or Jordan. That's all the NHL needs right now. Like The NHL's at a high right now. We're talking about this final, I think more than the NBA final in a general sense, just because of how boring and predictable it was. We had the Vegas Golden Knights, Alex Ovechkin partying. Like, just keep the momentum going. Do something crazy. You know, it's funny you should say that. That's a really good point. I think from a gameplay and and chatter perspective, the Stanley Cup final was much better than the NBA final. And and more people are talking about the Stanley Cup final than they are. Especially proportionately to each league's respective fan bases. Correct. Correct. That said, it is a great reminder of the differences between these two leagues when you realize that the volume of conversation about the tangential things to the NBA final, like, for example, where LeBron goes next, like, for example, the J.R. Smith fallout, like, for example, an NBA general manager who claims his wife created a burner account uh, to uh, release sensitive medical information about his own players. Now, all of that stuff is about a billion times sexier than anything that emerged from, from ho- the hockey side of the equation. We can't wait to see John Tavares make a extremely calculated and long-awaited decision to return to Long Island. That's right. That's right. The decision. He'll do the decision at a pizza joint <laughs> in Syosset. <laughs> All right. Dateline PK Subban. Emily Love is in a date in the air. It appears that PK Subban and Lindsay Vaughn are dating. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And it goes back to a comment Tyler Sagan said to me, and I think it was about Connor McDavid, unfortunately. But what the NHL needs, he's like, I want him to go out and date a celebrity. Like, I want to see him in People magazine and 
look, there's only one man who's going to take a sacrifice for the NHL, and that's P.K. Subban, and they just seem like they're really happy, so good for them. I think that they seem very, very happy. His agents seem happy. His marketing people mm-hmm. seem happy. Hopefully, her the, agents might be happy. Her, her agents might be really happy. Uh, his fashion designers, obviously very happy, as there will be a lot of red carpet for him going forward. And I just hope that these two crazy kids stay in love when he's eventually traded to Arizona. Dateline Buffalo. Speaking of trades, should the Buffalo Sabres trade Ryan O'Reilly? Mike Harrington of the Buffalo News says no. The Sabres were a 62-point embarrassment in the season that just ended. How will trading O'Reilly make them better, asks Harrington. What say you, Emily? Should Ryan O'Reilly be on his way out of Buffalo, or is he part of the solution? I think he's part of the solution because he's a leader off the ice. I think one of the things we talk about so much with Buffalo is a culture change. And here's a guy that cared so much that he was raw and honest in his post-game comments in a way that we rarely see from NHL players. And I think he's a leader that young guys should follow. So I'd love to see him stick around. I, I think he's part of the solution, too. I mean, you could make the argument that the Capitals are a great reminder that although things seem disastrous, you don't get rid of your good players just because things are disastrous. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only reason you move off O'Reilly is that if his comments are, uh, 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 after the season about losing his smile and, and being sick of it all, if you think that's kind of toxic, then maybe you move off him. But as far as like trading that level of talent for a bunch of futures, I just don't think that's the right move. I think he's part of the solution in that regard. So maybe they make the right decision. But again, he's not Jason Botterill's guy. So it'll be interesting to see how the GM uh, maneuvers these waters because he didn't acquire him. Uh, Dateline, Russia. <laughs> President Vladimir Putin has thanked Alex Ovechkin for winning the Stanley Cup. I quote, Sasha and I are in good, good personal relationships. He even expressed a desire to return to Russia to play here. But his contractual obligations prevented him from doing so. In, but in fact, it can be, uh, and it is not so bad for his personal career because he has now become the owner of the Stanley Cup. I congratulate him, just like the old team in which he plays. This is an achievement for any team in the big hockey. As for the meeting, we will meet, we meet him regularly. We even met when he did not win the Stanley Cup. That's funny, like it, all of a sudden the Stanley Cup's gonna get him a meeting with Putin, apparently. I did not watch because I am very busy at work, and as they say in such cases, I don't know what the rest of that is. I lost the Google translation. But uh, uh, Vladimir Putin thanks Ovechkin, and obviously we all wonder whether or not he's going to show up at the White House to be with Trump with the Capitals when they bring the cup there. My question is, are they going to the Kremlin? Ovechkin definitely is going to the Kremlin. I don't know about the rest of them. Kuznetsov Kuznetsov, Orlov, and Ovechkin at the Kremlin with the cup I think is a distinct possibility. But, uh, you know, we bought the White House... All indications are they're going to go. I mean, Devontae Smith-Pelly made some news by saying, I ain't going to go, so don't expect him to go. But from everything we heard, Emily, there are enough people who, let's say, would not mind standing with Donald Trump at the White House with the cup that the Capitals are not going to be a team we can expect to make a decision much like anybody in the NBA would. Yeah, so I covered the Penguins, and when they were right around before they were going to go to the White House, and I can just illustrate to you why hockey is different from the NBA and NFL. And it's just they don't talk about it in the locker room. I literally asked Phil Kessel because mm-hmm. they like, this is the highest-ranking American on the team. I just want to know. Like, is this something that you guys are talking about? Should we go? Should we not go? And he's like, no. 
We all decide we're going to go. We're just going for the White House. They didn't see it as political. They really thought it as apolitical. And that's just the nature of hockey players. So, you know, I do think that there are some exceptions. Devontae Smith-Pelly, I'm glad that he spoke his mind. And if he doesn't feel comfortable there, he should not go. But he also said in his comments that nobody in his locker room is really talking about it yet. And, and yeah. that was before they won. And I just don't think this is going to be a topic of conversation for them. I really don't. I will note the irony in players being apolitical and then still going to the White House with the cup, which is a very political thing to do because mm-hmm. you're basically a backdrop for propaganda. Um, but, uh, you know, I, the Penguins thing you have to remember happened at the apex of this, of this stuff where, where the president is going after athletes for their, for their beliefs and things like that. It was a very, very heated time. Still is in, in many ways based on what the Eagles just did. But uh, but the Penguins' decision came during that very specific moment. I mean, look, they went, you can basically guarantee the, the Capitals being a Washington team and, again, having as many people in that locker room that probably don't mind going on their roster. Uh, they're, they're definitely going to go. I'd be shocked if they didn't. And, uh, and the fan base will have to respond in kind. Dateline Vegas. Emily, what was your Vegas highlight? What was spending the thing time that you'll with take you, Greg. Away? Spending time with me all the time. Emily and I got our foodie on a lot oh, in Vegas, both in, in places of, of, of high regard, like Haleo and Lotus of Siam, to uh, a, an in and out sprint uh, on our last day there, which was great. It but was ideal. My highlight might be not my greatest highlight, but it was the it was an oddity. And so I think it, I think I want to I'll remember it. I like playing blackjack, mm-hmm. and rare is the time that <laughs> I win at blackjack, but I, I do okay. I got uh, an 11 twice at the same table, which means that you double. You, you draw one card, you put double the money down in the hopes of pulling a face card or a 10 to get you to 21. So at the very least, you're going to get a tie out of it, but most times you're going to win double your money. I got an 11 I asked for a card. She pulled an ace. Now, for those who don't play blackjack, that means that instead of an 11, I now had a 12. And I couldn't do anything about it. So this is the worst card you could possibly pull. And it was the first time it had ever happened to me. About eight hands later, I get an 11 again. And I literally say to the dealer, Dealer? Don't give me an ace. (laughs) Anything but an ace. And she was not the warmest of dealers. She pulls an ace again. Now... I went one and one. The second time she busted, so I did win double my money. But it was the first time, within, again, within the span of like eight hands, that I got uh, two chances to double down and both times pulled an ace. And as a gambler, I'll always remember that as being part of the overall weirdness. By the way, that was at the ho- uh, California Hotel where I actually had my best night gambling. And it, it, being that it was like $5 tables, I walked away like plus like 140 where at another casino it would have been like plus 600 do you know who did the best that night? Did John I Walton. do the best that night? No, oh, John, John Walton. Walton did. Oh, God, yeah, John Walton cleaned it up. John Walton had chips on chips on chips that night. Anyways, Vegas. Uh, finally, uh, D- Dateline uh, 2018 odds. <laughs> Emily, according to one bookmaker, the Tampa Bay Lightning are 11 to 1. The Predators twelve to one. The Jets thirteen to one, along with the Capitals and the Penguins. The Bruins fifteen to one. The Golden Knights tied with the Maple Leafs at sixteen to one for the Cup in two thousand nineteen. Who do you think was your odds-on favorite, maybe to win the Cup without without holding you to a prediction, which is what we'd never do at this juncture. 
But what's your what's your feeling tell you about, about next year? Those all sound accurate to me. I I think it's the Predators. I I kind of believe that too. Like maybe they just ran into a buzzsaw in Winnipeg, and and maybe they have to kind of figure out the Pekka Rene problem. And, and but I mean they have a solution for it in UC Soros. I'm kind of digging the San Jose Sharks twenty five to one for the last window, last gasp of winning a cup kind of run. I think that's an interesting one. Um, but other than that, you know, pretty pretty straightforward. I I I, I I'm I'm more a, a, you know adapted to bet somebody in the East to maybe win the cup. But uh, the Sharks twenty five to one would be the, the the long term wager I might make. By the way, over under Golden Knights points. For 2018-19, 101.5. Probably take the under on that, I'd say. I would take the under, but the only reason I hesitate, the only reason I'd say yes is because the Pacific Division has to rebound. Like, they're not going to be as bad as they were this year, right? By the way, uh, odds on making the 2019 playoffs for the Golden Knights, 1-4. to four. So really? Huge, huge favorites to make the playoffs again, to not be a one-and-done team. That's very well, I think that's just Vegas handicapping itself. <laughs> right. It's possible. Oh yeah, where did all those stories about those bookmakers losing eight million dollars if the Golden Knights won the cup go, by the way? Funny how that worked out. They lost them five. Um all right. For uh for all of you and for Jet Wu and Fernando Eggenberger, here is the uh ESPN and Ice rant line of the week. Hey, Emily and Greg, this is Randy calling from Seattle, Washington. You know, I've had a lot of fun cheering on the Sweet Golden Knights throughout the season. And as someone who loves a good sports storyline, you know, it's been awesome to see an extension team go to the playoffs. But on behalf of sports fans everywhere that don't want unreasonable expectations put on our future NHL franchise, and as a Seattle sports fan that had to suffer for many long years for some field, court, or on the ice, I can't accept a brand new fan base being instantly rewarded with the cup. But there's a lot of Sabres, Blues, Jets, Canucks, fans out there that feel the same way. Where we all come from, you've got to put in the time, go through years of emotional trauma before you get a championship or even compete for one. Plus, in TJOC from Western Washington, which a lot of people don't know. So, I'll be rooting for you next year, Vegas, while we wait for a team and for your luck front end. So, rant over, keep up the awesome work on the pod, and see you in Seattle. Bye! Well, thank you so much for those kind words. I will uh, add that the Vegas sports book that we're stealing these odds from says that the Seattle team is 65 to 1 to make the final in their first year. To repeat no, that the does feat. not say that. Yeah, 65 to 1 to repeat the feat of the Golden Knights. 65 to 1 that they make the cup final in their first year. Um, I, you know, it, 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 listen, you know I'm a, a proponent of, of exactly what happened here, which is that the Golden Knights made it all the way to the final, acquitted themselves well throughout the playoffs, but fell just short to keep their fans, uh, hungry for a taste of a championship, and I don't know how... If they were hungry before, after seeing Alex Ovechkin roll through D.C., drinking up everything and doing everything possible, imagine what Nate Schmidt would have done had they won the Cup. Um, so, uh, you know, the way it worked out is fine, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm all for the, the, the waiting-to-win aspect of it. I think it would have been kind of kind of sucky if they had won in year one, um, despite the fact that it probably would have led to a lot of book deals. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, as for the expectations with Seattle, I think the narrative literally going into the year is going to be, well, they're not going to be the Golden Knights. Like, I don't think everyone expects this now. I think it's going to be that caveat. And everyone knows that GMs are going to be savvier the second time around with these expansion roles. Indeed. All right. Uh, how can people get on the rant line next time, Emily? Yeah, that was a great rant. And if you have a voicemail for us, you should call, too, at 860-516-1029. Awesome. 
All right, that is ESPN on Ice for this week, an epic post-cup edition. Our thanks to John Walton, uh, voice of the Capitals. Our thanks to Chris Peters for pivoting uh, slowly away from the cup final to the NHL draft <laughs> that is upcoming. Uh, Emily and I will both be in Dallas for it, so uh, do uh, stop by and say hi if you would like to say hi to us and, and, and hopefully a few sprays in the podcast. Our thanks to Gabe for producing this whole thing and having patience for us while we were on the road uh, doing this thing. Uh, remotely, which was always an adventure. And uh, thanks to you. If you dig the podcast, let us know. Best way to do that is in iTunes with a with a rating and a review. And uh, tell a friend that you dig the podcast as well. And our thanks to you for, for, for all this. Some people have been asking about like how long we're going to be going into the summer. And the answer is probably about a couple weeks into July still doing this. There's a ton of news that's still left to cover. So we'll hold off on the soliloquies about your support of the show until then. Uh, but for now, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you uh, next week. Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.